I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome, 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 everybody, to another episode. Turn on the Jets Digital presents draft season. We are the four horsemen of TOJ's draft covers this year. Uh, I am your moderator, D.A. Osorio, joined as always by James Kuntz, Michael Megan, and Joseph Bellick. Joe, I will start with you uh, because I've been worried about you this week, and I want to make sure that you're okay. So I'm checking in with you. How are you feeling, man? Post-Easter Sunday, he has risen, you know, and the he in this situation is not just Jesus, but it's also Zach Wilson. How are you feeling? I'm doing well, Dalvin. I'm hanging in there. Yeah, yeah. Meigs, I'll go to you, man. Uh, how are you feeling on this? We are now 16 days, oh, 17 days away from the first round of the draft. How are you feeling? Excited, you know? I mean, I don't think there's going to be much drama now that Sam's gone. So excited to see what happens. Yeah, and I will say I appreciate you, Meigs, checking on me to make sure that I was I was very thrilled now that Sam is gone. Now I don't have to worry about anybody doing something crazy in the building. James, how about you, my brother? In your, in your quarter uh, structure at Northwestern, you have now gone back to school. No break for the weary. How are you feeling? I'm excited. It's the first podcast recording now that Sam's not on the team. So we've been building towards this for a while. For these, yeah, side. yeah. And we will give a, a a quick hat tip to our guy Will Parkinson. I poured out a little beer for Will, you know, because I know Sam is like a fallen soldier for Will. So I poured out a little whiskey for him. Uh, but guys, as you know, uh, we are revving up for draft talk. Uh, first round, we are at. Camilla's tasting room, three fourths of the four horsemen and a bunch of TOJ guys and a bunch of alcohol to help us get through the night. Some of us are going to have to get through that second pick better than others. Joe, I'm looking at you, but, (laughs) (laughs) but please leave a review on wherever you listen to your podcast. We also want to plug the new TOJ live show featuring Steven Russo and Steven Zantz that is launching in March. First two episodes with Jake Osman and Connor Rogers. Uh, I feel like I should the real Connor Rogers, because there's a guy that follows me on Twitter who's another Connor Rogers. It's not our Connor, so I need to specify that. But let's jump right in, guys. You guys know the format. Seven rounds of draft talk. We have a kick-ass interview coming up after we get past Meeks minutes. Let's do this. First, let's grade this mock. Joe, I will start with you. We are grading pick 23 in this mock. What do you give it? What do you think? And this is, and I want you to assume that the Jets have taken Zach Wilson number two, 
uh, I want you to assume that reality in this, in this, in this, uh, in this situation. What'd you think of this pick? Well, the pick was Zavin Collins, right? The linebacker. Uh, I'm going to keep this short. Um, as much as I appreciate Zavin Collins from a talent perspective, I can't take a linebacker here. I mean, we need to build around this young quarterback. I want to see them take offensive line. And if they went defense, they should have taken a cornerback, not a linebacker. Um, our boy, Steven Zance, we just mentioned, came on the show, show once and talked about how Salah was this linebacker whisperer. He has this experience as a linebacker coach. So, and you've seen them draft guys like Fred Warner in the third round or Dre Greenlaw in the fifth round. And he has the experience to develop these type of guys. So I think that's the range that they should attack linebacker. If they actually pick a linebacker in the first round, um, there will be a heavy amount of alcohol consumed um, at the draft party. And it's, I don't think it's going to be a good situation. I gave this pick a D. It should be an F. I gave it a D only because I like Zavin Collins. And I will say, uh, you know, a writer on TOJ, uh, Zavin Collins is Dan Essen's number one defensive player in this class, uh, you know, and, and he loves him. But Meigs is also on this kick of not drafting any defensive players in round one. In fact, Meigs, I think you've gone as far as to say you don't want to see a defensive player drafted until like round four or something like that. How did you grade? How did you grade this mock out for the Jets taking Collins at 23? I mean, it's hard for me because I really like Zayvon Collins as well. I think he's the best Sam linebacker in this class by a considerable margin. But I'm with Joe. Where we went wrong with Sam, we took Sam, and then our next pick was a 26-year-old defensive tackle in Nathan Shepard. You need to you have to learn from your mistakes. You got to stick to offense. You got to build around this quarterback. Robert Sala was a really good defensive coordinator for four years. Why he got a head coaching job? Mike Lafleur has never been an offensive coordinator, so. Give the inexperienced guy premium talent and give your experienced guy the guys you want to develop. That's my philosophy. I think that's fair. James, I'll go to you. Linebacker at 23. I, you know, I, I tend to lean towards this. If you're going to go defense, you go corner at that, at that position because the Jets right now have nothing at corner uh, unless you think that Javelin Goudry is going to be, you know, suddenly turned into Darrell Revis. James, what did you, what did you think of Xavier Collins going at 23 for the Jets? Uh, Meigs took the words right out of my mouth. I mean, look, we're drafting a quarterback who excels at pushing the ball down the field. And one of the things that you need for your quarterback to be able to push the ball down the field is good protection. And I think right now the Jets offensive line is seriously lacking, especially up the middle. And so to me, it's pretty inexcusable to take, you know, what I'd consider as like a luxury pick in Zayvon Collins. So I would be disappointed if this happened for sure. I, I definitely agree with Joe and Meigs on this. Yeah, definitely. And I like the point you made about the offensive line, right? Right now, the Jets, uh, you know, and granted, we have this second wave of free agency that'll probably come after the draft. But right now, the Jets are rolling back with the same interior that really, I mean, was pretty bad for about 12 weeks last year, right? And then they picked up Pat Elflane on waivers. And, to, and you have to think about it. Pat Elflane was so much of an improvement, even though he wasn't that great, but he was so much of an improvement over what you had that a lot of Jet fans were like, well, why don't you bring him back? Meigs, I'll go to you for round two with your, with your Michaels minutes. Who are we talking about this week? They were talking about Tommy Tremble, who's been a hot, hot name on Jets Twitter. Uh, people I think have seen like George Kittle light, which I think is a little, little crazy. Tommy Tremble is a good football player. He's a really, really, really good blocker. And I really think that in the, he didn't really get used much in the past game. Also because they have a better tight end at Notre Dame this year, but I think he has shown that he has some good hands. And I really like him as a wide tight end. And also maybe using him as a fullback in that like Kyle juice check role with getting a really like, with that kind of athletic profile at fullback. You really don't see that in the NFL today. Kyle juice kind of a one of one right now. Um, 
this position for me isn't really that one that I value very highly as like this blocking tight end hybrid, like fullback hybrid. So I would take him like on day three of the draft. I know a lot of people will see him going in the third round and just with all the holes on the Jets roster, I think that's also a luxury pick. And that's why I wouldn't go that. But Tommy Trumbull is a good football player. And if you can get him in round four, I'd do it any day of the week. Yeah, and I will say, we've talked about this before. This is not a great tight end class, it feels like, right? And so I think that's where you see you got some guys get overdrafted. I like Kylan Granson from SMU, but I can get Kylan Granson in round six and still get the same kind of production that I think I could get from a guy like Tommy Tremble. Uh, let's jump right into our interview. We are joined by fellow dad gang member, Kaylee and Harper's dad, T- Tampa Bay Bucks and NFL Draft Reputer Report, John Ledyard. John, my man, how are you? Thank you so much for joining us on this beautiful Sunday. Absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. So listen, man, I, you, you know, I have, I have rocked with you. I have learned so much from you in the, in the six years that I followed you just in terms of what to look for with edge rushers, what to look for in the trenches, right? Congrats to your, you know, to, to the Bucks for winning a Super Bowl. I did not enjoy seeing Tom Brady hoisting the Lombardi, but we don't need to get into that. I'll work through that in therapy, but I'm going to, you know, Meeks has a question about this prospect after I do, but I'm going to ask you this straight away, man. Gregory Rousseau, what am I missing with Big Greg? What am I missing? Because I love Gregory Rousseau, and it might be the Miami Hurricane bias in me, but I want to hear your thoughts, man, because I, you said so, you, you also tweeted something earlier today that you were like, listen, the tape's not good, and the, and, the, and the combine wasn't very good for him either. What am I missing about Big Greg, man? So I just came on this show. I got invited on the show right after I just slandered your guy, huh? Just big slander for your guy. Well, no, for me, the, the I start, when I look at edge rushers, I start with the what I call, because I'm a nerd, the four pillars of athleticism for edge rushers. So it's burst and explosiveness off the ball in your first couple steps. It's the ability to keep that that quickness, that burst that you had explosiveness going when you when you travel up the arc. So basically speed, we call it, although it's only over like a what, 10 yard span probably. And then the, the flexibility bend to be able to corner, that can look a lot different. It can be a tilter like Aziz Ojolari or somebody who can bend a little bit more like a Jalen Phillips. Um, and then I look at change of direction too. Can you stop and start quickly? Can you cross the face of a guy? Can you set him up with a move? Do those kinds of things. I think Rosso checked the last box for me, but Rousseau did not check the first three boxes for me, which was a big concern. Explosiveness is where I start, right? If you have ex- explosiveness, a lot opens up for you as a pass rusher. If you're, ex- if you're first off the ball, if you're fast off the ball, if you're fast up the arc, those are really important things because you can be like a Carl Lawson and not have great bend, but because you're so fast off the ball, you give yourself a ton of options. You can power move guys and get back underneath them because they have to set you quickly. They don't have time to think about, oh, he doesn't have great bend. You're fast enough, quick enough off the ball that you don't need great bend all the time to win. You can get back inside guys. You can convert speed to power, but it all starts with those first couple steps. So if you don't have that, it's an uphill battle. I'm not saying it can't be done, but it's an uphill battle from that point. Do you have great hands? Can you can you create space for yourself? If your feet and explosiveness don't create the space, can you create that space with your hands by moving a guy, knocking his hands down, getting him off balance, creating an angle to the pocket? Rousseau is has some ability to develop in that way maybe, but it hasn't really happened yet. When they wanted him to produce and be their guy, they had to move him inside at Miami. They played him over guards and he had some success there. They also used to play a ton of games, ran a ton of games up front and he had some success there and he was able to get production that way. But one-on-one as an edge rusher against tackles, the good tape is really limited. So I came into the, into the workouts with questions 
when you run a seven, five, three cone, it doesn't leave me a lot of room for grace for you as a prospect. So I am pretty low on Gregor Russo. Um, I, I was surprised to see Lance street. I haven't seen or heard anything about the NFL necessarily not liking him. I mean, I was surprised that, that, that was the information was out there to that degree. Cause it usually is a pretty strong indicator. The guy's going to fall. Um, I, I did not have him in my last first round mock though, because I didn't, I was starting to question whether the NFL would really value what he brought to the table. I think at his best, he's might be like a David Irving type player without the off the field. But I think at his, at his current state, he's probably more like a, a, a rich man's Michael Johnson from Cincinnati or something like that. I think that's more what I see in his game right now. And you mentioned you mentioned Carl Lawson before I go to Meeks for the next question. Carl Lawson's impact on Quentin Williams. How how huge is that gonna be? Because you're right, Carl Lawson, and I've and I've been a fan of Carl Lawson since Auburn. I thought I was like, man, here's a guy that just I mean, he gets around. He doesn't he doesn't have the best bend, right? But he does get around off that first step. His, his impact for Q, how do you how do you see that happening next year under Salah in Salah's defense? Well, I think the best thing about Carl Lawson is he's kind of like you said, they, they went for D, D Ford when Sala was there in San Francisco. He's kind of like a rich man's D Ford. Like if D Ford had more power, that would be like Carl. They both rely on a lot on their first step and their quickness, explosiveness to win for them. Neither are super bendy guys, uh, but uh, Lawson just has so much power and it just it creates such issues. I mean, Villanueva, you know, for Pittsburgh had a really a pretty actually good season, even if it doesn't always look pretty last year. But man, Carl Lawson just gives them such a hard time. Those guys can get into your pads and you just can't land your hands on Carl Lawson. Like it's so hard. You never see him like really halted by a punch, really. He always has his counter move available to him. It makes the quarterback speed up their process, I think, a lot uh, because he's always got, he's ready. He's basically always ready. Keeps himself so clean. Um, and so I like Carl Lawson a lot. The key for him will be staying healthy, I think. But if he can do that, yeah, he and Quinnen definitely have a chance to make some noise um, as, as a duo, I think, you know, Quinnen, I don't know that he was getting, you guys would know better than me. I don't know if he was getting like triple team, double teamed all the time, but just in general, when you have competent humans brushing the passer and they haven't had many of those really lately, a long time in New York, to be honest, now they might have a couple of Sean Rankins can, Rankins can stay healthy. I mean, there's another guy. And so you, it's really such a team thing. You don't need, look at the Bucks, for example. I mean, last year, like they don't, it's Jason Beer, Paul and Shaq Barrett are really good players, but they are not tier one edge rushers in today's NFL. Vita Vea might be on his way there, but I wouldn't say he's more of a tier one D tackle, maybe eventually not a tier one pass rushing D tackle, but together, you know, together, they made it really hard for other teams combined with a good scheme and good coaching. You know, Saul is going to give him that. And now he's got a little bit of talent to work with too. So it should be pretty fun to see a pass rush come back in New York. Brings me back to the, the days of John Abraham a little bit, actually. And I was kind of excited to see them finally get an edge rusher and what's felt like forever. Yeah. We've been trying to fill that role. It feels like for, since, since Abram, I mean, you kind of had Sean Ellis, but again, not the edge rusher, not the, not the, yeah. not the edge rusher, right? Meigs, I'll go to you. Yeah. John Rousseau's really fallen down boards. And after his pro day, it seems like the only like elite thing about him is his length. So I was thinking like, if you were a team who was going to draft Greg Rousseau or even Greg Rousseau himself about putting on like 25 pounds to get up to like 295 and be try to mold him into like that DeForest Buckner like defensive tackle. How would you stack him up compared to the rest of the defensive tackles in this class? Yeah, I thought about that too. It's a great idea on paper. It mm. doesn't really work in real life very easily. The history has shown us, I mean, it doesn't mean it couldn't happen. Mm. You don't know what a guy's going to move like that once he adds that kind of weight. You know, you don't know a lot of things. You don't know what his conditioning will be like. Um, you don't know how, what kind of leverage is he going to be able to play with? It, the biggest things when you're on the inside, 
when you're playing inside compared to outside. Not that you don't have to have all athleticism matters all along the defensive line, especially it's huge. So you're already going to have a question with his first step and his explosiveness off the ball, no matter where he is. Um, but the biggest thing with him inside hand usage is going to be is huge in the, in the inside. It's not the same as on the edge. It's a little bit simpler on the edge on the inside. You have to decipher blocks much quicker. And that ties into the second biggest thing. It's such a mental position. Defensive tackle is such a mental position. I mean, you guys can probably remember guys like Robert and Kondichi, who is as talented as it gets leverage, powerful, explosive, all the traits you want. But again, if you don't understand the blocks, if you don't know what's coming, if you can't sense it before the snap and read it after the snap and read releases from offensive linemen, really talented players. I mean, it took Quinnen even a little bit of time, although, I mean, I think he's well on his way and I was a huge Quinnen fan coming out. He was just so young. I think it just took him time. Um, You can see that even a guy that dominated and tore up college football, the only adjustment from the NFL has been mentally, like getting where he needs to be for such a young guy. And I think that's completely normal. And there's no reason I was never concerned after Quinn's rookie season, like some people were. And I, you, because I think that we're always, that process is always uh, on the inside is always going to take a little bit of time and you just hope that they can figure it out. And so that's where it would be a big projection for Russo because he played there, but it was like long and late downs at, at Miami. And so it wasn't like a full-time workload there. And so it's a big body transformation, which is you, in and of itself is a huge risk. And it's also then it's a big um, technique and mental transformation as well as a player at the next level. That's asking a lot of a guy. I would have to know him really well. I would have to know his body type really well. I'd probably have to have my doctor. So, you know, what, what's realistic for how amount of weight that this guy could put on his frame. And I'd have to know how much he'd embrace a role like that. It's a lot of questions. I certainly wouldn't bet anything on it. Um, I haven't graded around four right now because that's the round four is where I see like role rotational players, good depth spot starter types, I think he can become that. I'm at least optimistic about that. They say good things about his football character. Um, and so, yeah, if he can do that, I, I like maybe the potential with him to at least be a situational interior rusher. Maybe he develops enough. He can give you some run reps on the edge and he can be a good, you know, fill in number three guy. That's to me, that's more of his role than the number one edge in the class that we were kind of billing him at for a while. Yeah. And I like that you mentioned the mental part of it, right? Because also playing inside, like it's not the, it's not the glamour position, right? So like, mm-hmm. you're not, you're not the guy that's on the highlights, right? You're the guy that's getting, that's taking the beating from the offensive lineman from the centers right. and the guards. Right. And, and I think, you know, you mentioned his work ethic, but I, I, I wonder how he would handle a move on, on inside moving and in, moving to the inside and having to play, you know, that, that D tackle role for 80% of his snaps. That's a lot. I, I wonder, I really wonder how he would handle yeah. that. Yeah. He's not like an overtly physical guy. And I'm not saying, he's soft i don't want to say that i'm just saying like some guys just like love contact like they yeah. seek it out that he he kind of won very finesse in college it's not a knock it worked for him especially when he was over guards on the inside you know he could cross their face pretty easily and, and lots of college guards are so bad i mean there's yeah. they, they take the good lineman in college and they put him at center and tackles like it's just that's what they do that's why more college teams should be putting their best pass rusher inside uh but i digress i think that he you know, for me, I see him win those ways. I'm like, okay, this is great. Situationally, that might work. If long and late downs, that might work. But if we're talking about an every down type of player, you know, especially a guy that might have to play on the inside, uh, if you're not overtly physical, um, if you don't love that part of the game, like, I don't mean like, oh, you're soft if you don't love it. I just mean like, you have to love it to a certain point to want to make that transformation to a different position. No, you're going to get put on your butt more often than not. And you got to be able to bounce back from that. We're going to, we're going to do some rapid fire questions for you right now, James, I'm going to pass it to you so you can pepper John with with all the questions you got. Go. (laughs) All right. Sounds good. So 
Uh, yeah, we're going to do some rapid fire. So uh, I'll ask you to give like some superlatives in the class um, in different areas. Um, feel free to like explain a little bit like your your thinking for each of these players. Mm -hmm. But um, all right, let's get started. So best overall edge rusher in this class. Jalen Phillips, not close. I don't have a close second guy. I always look, can you win outside the tackle? Can you win through the tackle? Can you win inside the tackle as a rusher? He already has shown the ability to do all three. He has those pillars of athleticism talking about his testing was great. His tape this past season was great. The only questions I have about Jalen Phillips really are do the stuff, whatever was going on at UCLA earlier in his career. I don't know. And then uh, the, the injury stuff, that's really it. Other than that, I think he's going to be a star. Great. Yeah. I love Jalen too. Highest ceiling edge rusher in this class. I guess Matt, I guess it just has to be Jason away. I don't I mean he's going <laughs> to enter the NFL and be one of the best athletes ever to play in the NFL. I mean, that's, that's what his testing shows. I know it's pro day testing, but I mean, his numbers were so absurd, even at the combine that would have been. So, I mean, he's going to be a premier athlete among athletes. It's he did no sacks last season. How the heck do you have that kind of athleticism in college and don't have any sacks, even by accident? I am not really quite sure. He's a tough prospect in that way, but on tape, you do see him. He grew as a run defender, all those kinds of things. He's probably one of the furthest away from his ceiling. I would just guess growth isn't linear for everybody. So some people take a huge leap out of nowhere really early. Uh, but the fact that it didn't happen for him in college would say, I would say his ceiling's probably far away, but I definitely athletically. Yeah. There's no question. He could be, I mean, he, he definitely compares athletically probably even more so than to Danell Hunter in terms of having to be an outlier for production, but still being really good in the NFL. I love it. I love it. Um, who's the edge rusher in this class? Who you think is the highest floor in this class? Um, yeah, that's a good question because that's definitely not, I guess that would not be Phillips because just because of the other stuff, you know, if you could end up, you know, I wouldn't call him safe in other words. So you're, what you're asking basically is who's the safest edge in this class. Basically. Yeah. Okay. Um, I would think I'm sure I'm trying to balance safe, but also good. Cause there are very few safe <laughs> edge rushers in this class. I mean, Jalen Phillips, we mentioned Aziz Ojolari. I don't know how you, you know, with one pass rush move, I like him, but with one pass rush move and at his size and his athletic testing was questionable for a guy that wins on athleticism. I wouldn't call him safe either. Same with Jason away, obviously Queedy pay, obviously Joseph Asai. Those guys are great ceilings, but not safe at all. Very boom bust. Um, I would say probably, honestly, it's going to sound crazy, but there really are no safe edge rushers in this class, to be honest. Um, I don't think any of these guys, I mean, safe as in they could be average prospects. This is not that type of class. The guy I see that's the best, but also the safest of the good ones is Peyton Turner from Houston. I know that's kind of crazy because he's the Houston guy. So you would think, oh, he's got something to prove better competition that they're going to face outside of the AC. But I went right to his best his game against the best offensive line he faced, BYU. I mean, that's the, that's one of the best offensive lines in the country this past season. And I thought he played really, really well. I mean, he didn't dominate every snap like he did against Tulane, but he played really well. Um, he just is so violent. He's so physical. He's so big and he's so athletic that he, he gives you still a pretty decent ceiling to work up to. But his floor, because he's so physical and he already manhandles people, Unlike the other guys, really, that I mentioned above, the Quidi Pays, the Jason Aways, the Ojolaris, the Phillips, you know, those guys in some ways still have an element of risk in terms of that stuff translating to the NFL. Turner's game, I think, will translate really easily to the NFL. Now, can he be a star? 
because he grew at Houston this past year, he put himself on the map as a prospect. He really wasn't on a map in a major way as a prospect before this year. So that's the question, like how high can his ceiling actually be? His athletic testing at his pro day really got, I mean, got me, got everybody excited. I think that we can have a really a much better player here as he continues to develop. He played inside early at Houston, then was outside, then took off this past year, I thought as a player. So we need to continue to see that growth for me to say is a high ceiling. It's hard for me to see Peyton Turner like not working out in the NFL at all, just because again, he is so physical. He's so big. He's so long. His size and his strength are going to translate right away. His play temperament is going to translate right away. It showed at the senior bowl. So I guess I would consider him one of the safer ones, but it is not a class, an edge class for safe. If you were looking for safe edges, you're going to wait till the third or fourth round. Rashad Weaver, a cam sample, you know, those guys might be five, six sacks a year type guys. They might not even start every game for you or every snap for you, but there are guys that will give you something, I think, and you have to feel a little bit good about that with the risk up top. Okay, John, me and you both share a love for Peyton Turner. Obviously, you talked a lot about him. I have him as edge four. You have him as edge five. Where do you see him going in the draft? Like, how, how are scouts feeling about him? I don't know that much, to be honest. I'm kind of like I, everybody I'm late to because I was covering the Super Bowl, and so I didn't get to watch a ton. It was such a weird season, and half these guys didn't play. And so I'm catching up on a lot of guys. So I actually just finished Peyton Turner like last week. And so I guess I'm, I'm going to start, you know, seeing what's out there and everything. I think his testing was a great sign. I don't know how he doesn't go top 50. You mentioned you have Medge 4. I think I actually have to go through and regrade him based on his testing now because I, I do a numerical scale. He might be edge four for me too, actually, uh, looking at it. So, I mean, I'm a huge fan of him. Um, I, I would imagine with, again, Marcus Davenport got traded up for in the first round. Level competition was a bigger question with him. His tape was not even as dominant as Turner's. He really wasn't very good until the senior bowl game. He had some sacks in the game or he had some plays in the game. I think he had a pick or something. I don't remember. He had a fumble return for touchdown or something that people said that moved him up as a prospect. I don't get that. But anyway, he was fine. But Peyton Turner was, is, I don't know. He is to me is the better tape. He has the easier, the play temperament to convert to the NFL pretty quickly and not be overwhelmed. Um, testing was great. Um, I have less questions about Peyton Turner than I did about Davenport and Davenport went in the first round. Turner has not received that kind of buzz. Um, maybe it's the pre-draft process. Maybe we're just kind of out of the loop. So we'll see. I would love to see him sneak in the first round, not because I haven't graded there, but I don't have him graded as a first round grade, but I just love to see it because I think he's a really good player. And it would, it would be the kind of move that it makes the draft fun. I think. Yeah. It's one of those where you're like, you know what? I was in on him before and I, and Joe and Joe's being humble. Joe has liked Peyton Turner since we started this show three months ago. He's been banging <laughs> that. He's been banging that drum. That's awesome. So, so kudos to him, John, before I let you go. So now we have, you know, we, we have to talk New York jets sitting at 23. Um, you know, all signs seem to be pointing to Zach Wilson. Now I said we wouldn't do too much quarterback talk, but I just are the jets. If Wilson is the pick, are they making a mistake taking him over Justin Fields? Yes, but it doesn't mean that it's a franchise altering one. We'll see. Um, you know, I like Zach Wilson a lot. Yeah. The question really will be how much Zach Wilson continues to grow because to me, Justin or Zach Wilson's ceiling is very, very high. I just don't think he's quite where Fields is mentally right now. And that's, it's not a knock on Wilson. I, I don't think it's like he's way far behind the eight ball mentally, but the level of consistency isn't the same for me with, with Fields and with Wilson. And that's, where really, and, and especially when you consider level of competition, which matters to a degree, I look at other stuff first, but then I come back to that. I'm like, okay, so Fields is more consistently making not only good plays, but great plays against 
better competition. Zach Wilson is making great plays, but then the low, I mean, a lot, there's a lot of dropped interceptions. There's a lot of balls that should have been picked. They weren't, there's a lot of jump balls and I'm not, I know his receivers maybe not great, but there's a big difference in the NFL when you're throwing the ball up to, to NFL guys and NFL corners are in coverage. The ball skills are one of the biggest discrepancies in the NFL, in my opinion, between college corners and NFL corners. You can just get away with so many throws in college because corners cannot play the ball. Um, but in the NFL, that group get that's one of the things they train the most. They don't train technique that much in the NFL with DBs. They just train, find the ball, finish on the ball. So I, I, I do think it's going to be a tougher adjustment for Zach Wilson in the NFL. I love his poise though. He's just tough. He takes it. Um, he takes hits. I mean, he, he doesn't care, you know, and not that he was under pressure a lot, but there's no hesitancy when he's under pressure. There's no hesitancy after he makes a bad play. It's a short memory. It doesn't kind of tank his whole performance. Um, and he, yeah, he plays with stones. I mean, he's not afraid to risk it. He's got a great arm. Um, I don't think it's like, I don't think it's like a, a 10 on a scale one to 10 in terms of velocity, especially in intermediate throws, but deep ball, tremendous deep ball, tremendous deep ball, touch accuracy. Accuracy is the biggest thing that gives him a chance, right? We've seen guys that are a little bit inconsistent in their play and the inconsistency kind of revolves around accuracy. Usually I don't think that it revolves around accuracy for Zach Wilson. His accuracy is consistent. Some decision-making, some ability to come off his first read. And when the concept's dead, you got to move quickly in the NFL. And there he had time. He just had time at BYU. He could sit, he could let, he could think about it. He could move to his next thing. He just has to speed it all up in the NFL. Right now it's kind of slow for him a little bit. Ironically, this is what gets said about Justin Fields a lot. And I think there's, Maybe moments of that with Fields, but they are far few, few and far between compared to Wilson, in my opinion. Wilson could wait, come off it eventually, get out of the pocket, make himself launch like that O line combined with no pass rush. He just had life made for him, kind of. And it's going to be a lot tougher in the NFL. You guys talked about the Jets O line a second ago. It's going to be tougher in the NFL. It is uh, early on. So coaching will be important. The scheme will be important. Those are both in his favor if he ends up in New York. I, I think uh, we're all guessing, but. Um, I think those things will really help his transition. That will be really critical, in my opinion. As long as he's able to and open to continue to get better, he can still be a, a really, really good. I mean, I have a first-round grade on him, and I am strict with first-round grades. I think he's very, very good still. I think Fields could be special. Um, I am uh, baffled by the pre-draft conversation around Justin Fields. He is going to dunk all over that in the NFL, I firmly believe. Maybe it's with the Jets. We'll see. It sounds like it's going to be Wilson. Uh, either way, I think the Jets are going to get a good, really good player. It's just up to the coaching staff and what they do around them in terms of drafting, whether they can maximize that ability or not. Yeah, and I think you're, you're spot on. And, and we've been talking about Justin Fields even before even before the, the game against Clemson. And James had asked, you know, when we met, he, we had done an episode and he was like, what kind of stat line are you thinking for Fields? And I used, you know, which I think, I think is arguably the greatest college uh, game for a quarterback, Vince Young versus USC. I said, you're going to see that kind of game against Clemson because Fields is a guy who – if you want to talk about a guy that came back just to beat the novels and Clemson, it was him. Like he was like, yeah. listen, man, this is all I'm trying to do here. Right. And I think it's, it's been fascinating to watch the rise of Zach Wilson. Right. And mm -hmm. it's at the detriment of Justin Fields. Cause I think you're spot on, right? Like you don't have to, you don't have to like one and then hate the other. There's no, you can right. like two quarterbacks. There's no rule that you have to hate one of them. Uh, but it's, it has been at the detriment of just at the detriment of Justin Fields. And that's a shame because I think Justin Fields is going to be a baller. Oh yeah. I mean, it's so funny because now we've completely moved on to Mac Jones versus yes. Justin Fields, <laughs> which I never in a million years thought we'd get to that conversation, but we've just forgotten all about Zach Wilson and yeah. Justin Fields, which I thought was going to dominate pre-draft conversation. We didn't even stay there very long, you know, which is crazy. Cause I think there are a lot of people, a lot of smart people 
who have Justin Fields over Zach Wilson. It's going to be very much the classic situation of the NFL's opinion, what it seems like. I don't even know if we'll know if it's consensus. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe a lot of teams probably do have Justin Fields. And I've heard enough to know a lot of teams have Justin Fields as QB2 yeah. uh, in this class for sure. Um, I do think there are teams that have more teams probably that have Zach Wilson QB1 than have Justin Fields QB2, yeah. which you know you can sort out how that happened to go down. But I do think that um, I do think that it, as you kind of as we kind of look through this draft process with quarterbacks, we are going to com- compare it. I think in a lot of ways to the last class that had five quarterbacks at the top with uh, with Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold and all those guys. And I think we're going to compare it in some ways to that, but we're also going to compare it to the the class with Deshaun Watson and Mitch Trubisky and and um, and Patrick Mahomes. And it, yeah, just it brings back a lot of those memories in my mind where a lot of people on the yeah. in the draft Twitter, which I know is a weird phrase, but it's like draft media, basically mm-hmm. realm of things just considered Lamar Jackson to be better than Josh Allen in a lot of ways. For example, that was the big controversy. Now they both ended up being good. And maybe that's what happens with with uh, with uh, the situation with Fields and Wilson. Um, they both ended up being really good, really good quarterbacks. Um, and then the Deshaun Watson, Mitch Trubisky conversation, which also was tied to obviously Patrick Mahomes too. Although I think there was more people that had Deshaun Watson QB one than yep. that had Pat Mahomes QB one, if I recall. And obviously they, you know, the media ended up being more correct on that than the NFL. I say the NFL, but I do think Mitch Trubisky was on top of a lot of teams boards mm-hmm. at quarterback based on what a lot of the big analysts had. That yep. A lot of them had Mitch Trubisky number one. That's what they're hearing. And so, yeah. So I think, it'll be the next saga and that it'll be the next chapter in that book that, uh, you know, media versus NFL teams, who's going to win the quarterback discussion and how that going to go. We've had a few of those over the years and it's not the draft season unless the media and the NFL (laughs) seem to disagree on a quarterback. That's true. And if you remember uh, Mike McCagnan had Mitch Trubisky as his quarterback one. And when the bears took him, they was like, no man, you know, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't take Watson over Mahomes. He had questions about whether Watson could throw in New Jersey, right? Like whether the velocity was there, right? And Mahomes, it was, you know, and it's interesting because we've had this conversation amongst all of us about the the chase for the next Mahomes, right? And Wilson, uh, uh, Meigs and I kind of landed on Wilson being a little bit more Matthew Stafford than Mahomes, like when he was first mm-hmm. coming out, like the arm angles, right? Like, like all that. Yeah. I don't see Mahomes, but I also, what you said about you can't throw those jump balls and across your body in the NFL. You will get picked, right? And just because right. Mahomes is able to do it now doesn't mean, you know, he's throwing it to Terry Hill, who's who's outrunning everybody. It's to Travis mm-hmm. Kelsey, who's the biggest target wide in the middle. Uh, before I let you go, John, who is at 23, the best edge to complement Carl Lawson and Quentin Williams for the Jets? Because I think for us, we've been we've been talking O-line because you have to take O-line. But it does seem, you know, and even in your, to your point about there is no safe edge, right? Uh you the old line class is is deeper like there's a lot of interior offensive linemen right to stuff like that who's the best edge to complement carl lawson and quentin williams in robert salas defense in your mind and 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 at 23 specifically because i think if you go into like you said rounds three four five six like then you're looking at a guy like rashad weaver a shaka tony maybe maybe a quincy roche right maybe take him around five but it's it's not it's not the it's not the best edge class like in in that regard yeah, I mean, it's definitely if he's there, it's Phillips. I have no idea where Phillips is going to come off the board. Like, if he went top fifteen, it wouldn't surprise me. If he went not in the first round at all, it wouldn't I'd know why? You know, it was not like it would surprise me. I would, you know, talent wise, it's 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 obviously Phillips. I mean, there's, yeah, that if if Phillips talent wise gets there and they're able to get him and nothing else, nothing off the field, nothing injury wise is is an issue with him, that might be a draft that changes your franchise. I mean, it has the potential to be that kind of draft that you could change your franchise, you know? Um, so 
yeah, that's, that's where to me that I would have, that's where I would have my energy focused again with Phillips. It's just, you have the, the explosiveness and the bend off the ball. I think you can still get better at getting off the ball on time, but you could see it when he gets off the ball the right, with the right timing. And that's part of getting back into the process of playing again, getting a feel for those kinds of things, the flashes of it. You're like, okay. And you know, the explosiveness is there now that his testing has gone through. So he has that and he has the bend. Again, those hands keep developing, um, keeps keeps knowing when to find power moves uh, against guys that are oversetting and get back inside. Carl Lawson can teach him that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think he's really, really good prospect. He is ceiling again. He's not even at his ceiling right now, and he's already good enough to play. So, nice. yeah, I don't think he's in the in the Bosa, Chase mm-hmm. Young, Miles Garrett, Khalil Mack conversation. Those guys are my top five edges ever that I've evaluated per uh, pre-draft, but. I, I think he's, you know, tier below those guys, but still really, really good. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. And we need somebody to chase around Josh Allen, whoever the Patriots trade up for, because if they end up for Trey Lance, I'm not going to be a happy camper. John. Thank you so, so much for joining us, brother. I really, really appreciate it. Taking time out on your Sunday to come in and let us know, you know, we, we, we busted the narrative, right? I think that I, one of the things that we've heard so much about is just, you know, the Justin Fields, Zach Wilson thing is a lot of what you said is what about Wilson is what folks have said about Fields. And, and I think, I know I feel better because I'm like, you know what? If John believes it, then I know I'm good having Fields at quarterback too. So <laughs> thank you so much for joining us, man. Honestly, we really appreciate it. We look forward to having you on sometime after the draft so that way we can see what the Jets did. Sure, absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Enjoy the draft. No problem. You too, man. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think there's there's a lot there, right? Uh, Joe, he loves Peyton Turner just like you. That's good. That's good. That's validation. That's validation for the for the horsemen of draft season. Let's jump right in, guys, to the to the O line. You know, with the, uh let's start it, let's start a tackle. Now the Jets, you have Makai Becton and you have the guy who was the human turnstile in Seattle, George Fant, who got better in this in this scheme. Um, but there, but there is, you know, talk that you know, maybe the Jets go with a guy who can play kick out to tackle next year, right, at, at 23, but can start out at guard. Uh, Joe, I will start with you, our resident offensive line guru. Give us your top five at tackle in this NFL draft. All right, yeah, number one for me is Penny Sewell. I think he's the, the most complete offensive lineman in the draft. Strength, athletic ability, technique, competitive toughness, and scheme versatility. It's hard to find a flaw. Listen, he's a special talent. Uh, he could play anywhere and for anyone. Definitely OT, number one for me. Number two for me is Rashawn Slater. I've mentioned this about Slater before, an offensive lineman in general. The majority of blocks are one with footwork alone, and Slater has the best feet in the class, hands down. He's a master of hitting his set points and putting his body in the proper position to gain leverage and win. 
Nobody does that better than him, not even Penny Sewell. Um, number three for me is Christian Darasaw. Uh, and there is a bit of a love affair between me and Darasaw. He checks all the boxes. Good footwork and use of hands in both pass protection and run blocking. He's tough as nails. He's scheme diverse, meaning he's both powerful and mobile. He's intelligent. He seamlessly picks up stunts and blitzes. I mean, you can't fool this guy. And I think he's everything you're looking for from an offensive line prospect. Big fan of Darasaw. Now, Number four is a guy who is a very realistic option for the Jets, and we should hope that he falls to 23. It's Tevin Jenkins. I've called him the finisher, but maybe the punisher is more appropriate for all you Marvel fans out there, DA. Um, really nice use of very heavy hands with good timing and placement to that armpit area. I don't think there is a player in the draft who's better at redirecting an opponent's force and finishing them to the ground like Tevin. His use of circular force is some of the best I've ever seen. I mean, this guy is a beast. Now, he needs to do a better job of varying his pass sets as if he expects to play tackle at a high level because he tends to get predictable. But I love this guy, especially starting him out at guard. Jets fans, again, we should pray that he falls to them at 23. Number five for me might be a little bit of a, a surprise for some people. It's Alex Leatherwood. I'm higher on Leatherwood than most. I love his potential. He's the perfect combination of power and athleticism. He's a nice fit for his own, probably better for more of a power slash gap scene, but he can more than handle playing in a wide zone. He's working right now with Duke Mannyweather at right tackle, and that's where I see him long-term. But he's one of these guys who can start out at guard. He played his entire sophomore season at right guard, and he has the experience. And when it comes to Leatherwood, I think his best asset is his mental processing, his ability to diagnose blitzes, stunts, twists, or loops with ease is very impressive. He's a very smart player. He's also, he's always keeping his, I like, the one thing I really like, he's always keeping his eyes active and looking for work. Not to mention, this guy is nasty in the run game. Very strong with heavy hands, and he definitely helped clear some lanes for the backfield. Now, he needs to diversify his hand technique and pass protection. He could be a bit predictable, but I'm sure Duke you know, has it under control. He did wonders with Mekai. So, yeah, that's my top five. What do you guys think? I like your, I like your top five, and I will say you and I have four of the same five. Uh, even though the order is different and I'll, I'll give you mine in a second. My number five is different than yours, but I think honestly, even looking at my big board, I have about, I have eight tackles in the top 40. <laughs> um, so I, I think, I think that's it. So I, for me, Rashawn Slater is, is number is tackle one and he's been tackle one for me for, for I think like four months now. And, and I, and I think his, his off season performance, you guys didn't see me use air quotes, but you know, cause this has been such a weirdly condensed off season. Um, I think just solidified that number two is Christian Darasaw for me. I do not have Penny Sewell at, at, at one or two. Um, I love Darasaw's game. I think Darasaw is a monster. And I think that there's, I think there's something to be said again for offensive linemen who want to beat you up. And Christian Darrell is a guy that wants to beat you up. Third, Pene Suel. And again, Joe, you hit it on the head. I think, and Meigs, you, you know, you touched on this in, in our chat, but I think you'll talk about this when we go to your five. He's just still so incredibly raw. He's, incre he's incredibly young. And I think that there's still so much development for him. But I will tell you this. I think a team that gets him, like the Bengals, who I think should put aside this Jamar Chase talk, and because they already have two good receivers, they have nobody to protect Joe Burrow. I think he'd be excellent there to be able to develop and move Jonah Williams to the right side. And before Tevin Jenkins, we agree there. I have him as OT4. But I also think, I think, like you said, Joe, he's a guy that 
can start out at guard and be really, really good. And then you kick him out to tackle when you cut, when you get rid of George Fant and suddenly you have him invested for the next, for the next decade, just protecting whoever your quarterback is. Because I like Joe also share the, the belief that in order for Zach Wilson to work, we're going to have to give him a pocket. It's not, it's not going to work if, if, if there's no pocket there. And number five, and I think this is, this is the surprise for me is Liam Eckenberg from Notre Dame. And I, I have him and Aaron Banks together, I think was poetry in motion on the offensive line. And I really like Eckenberg's, uh, Eckenberg's uh, potential, both in, Inside and outside, um, and I really, really like him enough to have him as my as my tackle five. Meigs, I'm going to go to you before we go to James. Hit us with your top five. Uh, yeah, I have Penny Sewell one, just like Joe does. For me, he's Larry Tunso without the gas mask. Like the, you just love the athletic traits. You love what he can be, and he's 20. He can't even drink yet. He's 20 years. He's turned 21 until October. Tunsil started at guard his first year in Miami. Then he became one of the best left tackles in football. And there's a reason he was one of the highest paid left tackles in football. And I see a very similar thing with Tool. Do I have Rashawn Slater, rock solid player, only person I ever saw give Chase Young any trouble in college. Dara saw his three, just violent. The man is so violent. And I'm one who just loves violence on the offensive line. Number four is where I probably stray. I have Sam Cosme of Texas at four, who I really like. I think he's really athletic. He, his pass protection needs some work, but he's really, really good in the run game. An offensive tackle, you got to bet on traits. Everyone laughed at the Raiders when they took Colton Miller at 15. Now he's one of the best left tackles in football after a really bad rookie year because he really developed. I think Cosme is very similar traits to him. He really that level of player. And number five, I have Tevin Jenk Jenkins. Plug and play at guard, and I think he's a long-term right tackle. And I strength, like that's just a guy you want to bet on. I just love his demeanor. I love his attitude. Um, also, his weightlifting videos are absolutely insane. Also, I love how he looks. And Colton, and Colton Miller just got paid $65 million from the Raiders, which I, I agree with you, Meeks. I think you make a really good point. I had a, I, when they took him, I was like, I, I was very confused by the pick. I really was. Joe, you were about to say something before we go to. Yeah, I like, I like Samuel Kosky as well. I, I think I actually compared him to Colton Miller, Colton Miller the second episode of draft season. The one thing Colton Miller has to do is fix his footwork. He has some wonky footwork. If he could put that together, he's going to be one of the best offensive tackles to come out of this class. I kind of compared him a little bit to uh, even Garrett Bowles. Garrett Bowles has some of the ugliest technique in the entire NFL. He's actually one of the guys I evaluated at the scouting academy, and I gave him a favorable grade. It wasn't actually looked at that well, and I was kind of trying to explain my reasoning, and it was because I saw him do and perform in a way that could be very successful in the NFL if he was to fix his footwork. And Sam Cosme is exactly in that same mold. If he does that, he's gonna, he's gonna be really great. Yeah, I think, I think one of the things that I really, and as I was finishing my big board, I was like, man, there are a lot of, there are a lot of guys here that can start out on the interior, move outside. A lot of guys that are just really have a lot of potential at both tackle and guard. And that's something that I like to see. It's part of the reason why I had Tristan Wirfs a little bit higher than Makai Becton last year, because I thought I was like, man, if you put him at guard, he's going to be an all pro guard for the next decade, but he's also going to be pretty good at right tackle. Um, let's go right into the interior because the Jets right now are running back. Connor McGovern, uh, Alex something Lewis I'm just gonna call him something because there was a lot of I, I said a lot of something when he was blocking interior defensive linemen uh and it seems like Greg Van Roten but again because they've signed nobody of substance uh for me aloe vera Tucker that is what I'm calling him because he's <laughs> as smooth as aloe vera he's as healing as aloe vera and I will tell you this I have him ranked in my top 10 
in my top 10. I think that he is that good. And that's not just like brand new, right? That's not just like, I, I like I, so I will tell you guys, my process is very simple. Like I tend to write out my big board at the beginning of the year, right? With notes. And then I go in and I start moving guys, depending on how they do. But this season was so weird that it was like, all right, well, you know, there's not much on anybody, but I think AVT is a monster. I think that he is a guy that will be in in five years, he will be the best guard in the NFL. I think that he is that good. Um, and his his testing was off the charts. And honestly, like, I, I, I worry sometimes, guys, because, like, I weigh 210, right? And I run, like, a 7-5-40. And I see these 300-pound men running, like, four fives and five ones. And I'm just like, what is going on here? So he's the guy that I have number one on the interior. Number two, Wyatt Davis. Again, really good performance for Ohio State. Creed Humphrey, who he's he he's uh, the third interior offensive lineman. Josh Myers, who I also like from Ohio State, and number five, Big Landon Dickerson, who again, if the medicals check out, right? I think that that's a guy that you. If I'm talking about, if you get him in round two with a trade back, and we were talking about this in the draft season chat, I would love for the Jets. And we had somebody submit a mock draft that had 77 picks, and all they did was rebuild the offensive line. And while that's not realistic, um, I think that you have, I think you have a chance in this draft in particular to really add some interior, some interior offensive line talent. And I really like this class. Meigs, I'll go to you before I go to Joe. Give me your top five. Uh, am I crazy for having big Landon Dickerson, you, you know, at, at number five? And if so, keep it to yourself and just tell me who your top fives are. <laughs> yeah, I have AVT at one. Um, also, DA, did Quinn Nelson die? Because he's going to be playing in football five for a years, long time. In, fi- in five years, big Q is going to be what, th- uh, 34, 35? Quinn Nelson got drafted in Sam Darnold's draft. I don't think he's 25 years old. So he'll be 30. I'm banking on ABT. Yeah, Zach Martin's still <laughs> kicking it at 30. Yeah, but okay. I have ABT at one. I have Landon Dickerson at two. He's just an animal. I have no idea, absolutely no idea, like how to draft that guy with two ACL surgeries. And I think he had like a fractured ankle or something. But just when you watch, put on his tape, he just destroys everybody. I have Creed Humphrey at three, just rock solid center, really, really athletic, really like him. Um, and then I, yeah, was it at four? I had uh, Alex Leatherwood, who I think is going to be a really, really good guard. I really like that's where he played. In, that's where he played when he was, I think, a freshman. He was at right guard, then they pushed him out to tackle, and that's where I think I see him best. Like that, where I think they really like cleans up his like some. He struggles with pass protection. I think even on the interior is going to help him a lot. And then five, I have Wyatt Davis because I don't know if it's 2019 Wyatt Davis or it's 2020 Wyatt Davis because it's polar opposite players. So that's why he fell a little bit for me. But I still think he's a really good player. If he can find that form, he'd be a really good guard in the NFL. And me, before I pass it, before I pass it to James, and then we go to Joe real quick. I like that you mentioned about the film, right? Because especially because this year was so weird, a lot of teams are going to lean on that 2019 film, right? And but then you have guys like Wyatt who played but about seven, eight games this year, right? So like you wonder, like, okay, that 2019 tape was so good. Your 2020 tape was a little shaky. James, I'll go to you before you lob it up to Joe to take us home for the interior offensive line. So I didn't watch um, offensive line for this class, unfortunately, but just hearing some of the analysis from people like Brandon Thorne, Christian Darrisaw is a very sort of complex evaluation from what I've heard, just because he has these really good games, but can sometimes play down to competition. For example, in the Liberty game, where I think he got beat on a few reps, according to Brandon Thorne by like a 225 pound edge rusher. Um, and I guess like the other thing was like, just for kicks, I was going through the offensive line class and seeing who was a team captain. 
because we know the Jets' affinity okay. for team captains. So only dressing office. Yeah. And um, what's interesting is that Christian Darasaw has been starting for three years and was like a freshman All-American. And he's probably the best player on Virginia Tech's entire team. And he he's not a captain at all. And that's not to sort of like cast aspersions or like make suggestions about this player. But if you have a guy who plays down to competition, but he was also like so clearly the best player on the team, but isn't appointed to a leadership position. Like, I just kind of wonder what's there and like whether NFL teams might have similar concerns. Like, obviously these are just inferences I'm making, but um, yeah. Yeah, I, I like to point. Uh, Go ahead, Joe. I like to address that on Darasaw. You know, uh, I think yeah, that is his one glaring weakness is that he tended to play down to his competition, and you know, some might see that as a red flag. You know, but I look at it like this: he's a guy who likes a challenge, and when he's put to the test, he looks to kick your ass on every play. And it's not something I'd worry about on the next level at all. He's going to be challenged on every snap, and I think he's going to rise to the occasion and kill it. I think of him as like a kid in school who's in class and he's not getting good grades and people question his intelligence, but it's actually quite the opposite. He's a, he's a very intelligent person. He's a very intelligent kid. He just wants to be challenged. I think that's who Darasaw is. Processing is one of his strengths. And I think, like I said, he just wants to play somebody who's tough. And when he sees somebody tough across from him, he gets hungry and he, he kicks some butt. I think, yeah, I think that's right. I do, I do like, because uh, I think there's, there's the middle ground in that point, right? Like are the Jets definitely place a premium on guys that have been captains and with Darius, I wonder, I wonder just how much, you know, and honestly, I'll be frank. If Joe Douglas doesn't draft Christian Darius because he wasn't a captain, I will drive the floor and park myself and put him in a sleeper hold in honor yes. of WrestleMania this weekend. Cause I, listen, I, I, you, listen, Jamal Adams was a captain too. And we all know how that turned out. Uh, Joe, let, hit me with your five in the interior. Uh, you know, as we, as we wrap this segment up. Yeah. Well, Elijah Vera Tucker is my number one surprise, surprise. Avir Tucker is awesome. He's another scheme versatile guy who's a good athlete. And the dude is like a brick wall on the interior. You can't get by him. His ability to mirror, steer, and control and pass protection is special. His use of hands, both his timing and placement is elite. He gets right into that armpit area, latches on with good grip, grip strength, and you're not going anywhere. Plus, he takes pride in finishing his blocks, and I appreciate that. I think he's clearly the best guard prospect in this class. Number two for me is Landon Dickerson. I think Meeks, I think you had number two as well. If, if it wasn't for his injury history, I'd be banging on the table for Dickerson. He's a do-it-all guard slash center prospect who is technically refined and one of the toughest guys on the field. And he really is, like James mentioned, a Joe Douglas type of player with his high character and leadership skills. If he can stay healthy, whoever, ja whoever drafts him will potentially be getting the steal of the draft, in my opinion. So number three for me is Creed Humphrey. Listen, Creed is special. He's incredibly intelligent has a stout anchor, a mauler's mentality, and perhaps the best understanding of leverage of any of the interior prospects in this draft. He knows exactly how to position his body and gain control of a defender, which isn't surprising considering he's been wrestling competitively since he was four. Yeah, since he was four. So that's a guy I want on my team. Um, so I guess maybe this is a good segue to number four, why Davis is number four for me. I, you know what, I'm gonna bring this up about Creed real, real quick. My only issue with Creed is his alligator arms. And I don't mean he doesn't like to pick up the check when you go out to eat. His 31 inch arms are pretty much at the bottom of the barrel when it comes to arm length. And I'm curious as to how he'll handle some of these savvy defensive linemen in the NFL who could potentially use that against him at the next level, right? Still, 
personally, it wouldn't stop me from drafting him. Even with, if, even if he's a little, got a little T-Rex in him, I still love him. Let's bring him on. I, if he, if he, for some reason falls past the second round, I will attribute it to NFL teams being somewhat, you know, wary of that particular, uh, you know, arm length. So yeah, four for me is Wyatt Davis. Uh, listen, he took a step back this year. I think it was mostly related to an injury from what I've heard, but I'm still high on Davis. He's scheme versatile. He's very tough in place to the whistle. He's solid in pass protection with very good use of hands. And he's another one of these smart guys who see the field very well and process information at a high level. Now, he needs to do a better job of, of protecting his chest, but he recovers well and knows how to drop his anchor and hold his ground. And I certainly wouldn't complain if the Jets drafted him. I'm still, I'm still pretty high on him. Number five for me, maybe it'll be a little bit of a surprise here. Uh, Quinn Miners, Wisconsin Whitewater in the house. I didn't even know that was a real school until the Senior Bowl. And he dominated, he dominated the Super Bowl. Super, did I say Super Bowl? Hopefully one day if the Jets draft him, the Senior Bowl. And while there isn't a lot of film on Quinn, I've been so impressed with what I've seen so far. And apparently he benches Moose in the off season. So I could definitely get behind a guy like that. You know what? Uh, if, if I had to pick three words to describe him, it would be power, athleticism, and fun. Let's just leave it at that. I love it. I love it. And guys, I will tell you, uh, you know, because James said this, you know, an A-plus lineman name for Creed Humphrey. I look forward to calling him Apollo Creed Humphrey. I look forward to calling him that because I, I love guys that have names that I can, you know, create nicknames for, man. Uh, you know, and now, but now we have an offensive lineman who bench presses Moose. I've never even heard of that. That's wild. That, that's wild. I can't even bench press my 39-pound daughter. So <laughs> let's go with that. Um, guys, and, and let's wrap this episode up. We're going to go to Edge now. You know, we had John on earlier, and I'm not budging off of my love of big greg understand that i will go down with that ship i will go down with that ship but i do agree that and we've talked about this before if Jalen phillips didn't have the concussions i think he's the best pass rusher hands down in this class right like that's the only worry is that like if we could wave a wand and say listen you're not going to get hurt at all Jalen phillips would probably go top 10 uh instead i every mock i see has Gregory Russo in round one go to the Giants at 11 right and my brother loves my brother my brother I think because he thinks that I like him he thinks that that's smart uh I've told him I've been wrong before I don't think it's smart to just base all your ideas uh with uh, for draft picks on on me but so guys that I you know that I really like in this class I like Aziz I think Aziz has a lot of things that you want to see from from your edge rushers right and I think John nailed this too this isn't there is no other than Peyton Turner, which I think I think he's spot on about, there isn't one player that I'm like, you know what? I know you're going to be okay at the very least. Like, okay, like there there just aren't guys. There's a lot of high ceiling guys, right? There's a lot of high floor guys. There's a lot of guys that you know what? If it doesn't go right, it's not going to work, right? So Quiddy Pay is my edge number two. Aziz is edge number three. Jalen Phillips is edge four because of the medicals, because of the medicals, because of the medicals. And I will say, James asked the question. Uh, three months ago when we were talking about my man A.R. Tony and his rap career. And James said, James is like, how much stock do you put in like stuff like that that's out of their control? And let me tell you guys, because again, I have no problems admitting when I'm wrong. I told James, I said, no, nah, man, I don't pay that any money. So, and look at me, ranking Jalen Phillips lower because of something he can't control. Um, and then number five is Jason Oway. Listen, I am very concerned that a team is going to take Oway in the top 15 expecting to get like a Khalil Mack or a, or a Von Miller, right? I'm very worried about that. But I think if you get him towards the later, towards like the end of round one, beginning of round two, I think he's a guy that has shown that he will put in the work to develop. I just, guys who are athletic freaks, 
worry me at the next level, right? They do worry me. And, you know, I will also say hat tip to James on this because James shared a video in, in, in our Slack where we were debating what a, what a club is versus a rib versus a swim. And the only guy that I've seen in this class, the only two guys that I've seen in this class that have some semblance of multiple pass rush moves are Peyton Turner, who we talked about, right? And Joseph Asai from Texas. Those are the only two guys that I've seen that have, that have, that I can say, you know what, you've been developed to a point that like, I now hope you go to a team with even better coaching because I think the sky's the limit for you guys. And then Jalen Phillips is just the guy that I think can put it all together. Uh, you, know, Joe. You, you know who I think a size? Like, let me put it together for yeah. you like this. Yeah. Ever order something in the mail, like, like a bike? Say you ordered a bike in the mail, right? Yeah. And you have to put it together to give you some directions. Yeah. But you decide not to follow any directions yeah. at all. Yeah. You put the bike together. There are some missing pieces, but it works. Yeah. Well, that's that in a nutshell is I like that. Pass rush, pass rush moves. I like that. You know what? And I, and I actually like that. I, I, as a person that have, that has built bikes without many, uh, many parts, right. And not following directions. I can appreciate that. To James's point, I also do like Quincy Roche. I think, he, I think that he's a guy that he's going to be, he's going to be a pick later on, but I think he's going to be a guy that's going to be productive. Meigs, I'll go, actually, James, I'll go to you. Give me your edge guys, man. Let, let's hear it. All right. So Edge number one is Jalen Phillips by a substantial margin. Edge number two is Aziz Ojolari. Edge three is Quiddy Pay, who is tied with Jason Owe, who is also tied as edge three. And then edge five is Joseph Osai. So I kind of want to just like hit on a few points here. First is with Jalen Phillips. Um, I think the discourse around him is kind of muddled, to be honest. Um, some people say he has off the field issues. Some people say he has injury concerns. Regardless, I, I think we just kind of got to talk about that a little bit. In terms of the injuries, like they are serious concerns. He had to medically retire from football because of concussions. And so you're like, you're drafting this guy who on film is a top 15, top 10 player, in my opinion. And if he has one more concussion, like, is he going to be able to play football? Like, I mean, seriously, like, and, and even if he wanted to continue playing, like, I don't know how I would feel as a fan watching somebody continue to endanger their health to the point where they're going to be having early onset dementia. They are going to be having suicidality. All of these things are demonstrated effects of CTE. Like, I don't know how I would feel about that morally watching that every single Sunday. Now, that's what Jalen Phillips, I think you also got to figure out like, are there off the field problems? You know, I've, you know, in talking with people who are more plugged in than I am, um, I heard that he was a real mess at UCLA. Um, the thing that you need to figure out if you're an NFL team is, did he just quit music or quit, quit music? Did he quit football and just start making music and smoking weed? Or was there like actual, like more substantive problems that went on when he stepped away from football? If you're an NFL team thinking about drafting him in the first round, that's what you got to figure out. And then just quickly on Jason Owe, quickly on him. Um, he's like raw as sushi. I mean, he literally has like zero pass rush moves, which is kind of stunning considering like he's a junior and he's been playing for three years. But I was searching on Twitter, just, you know, Jason Owe, just kind of scrolling through the timeline. And I found a video of him from two years ago where he's deadlifting 535. And it's one of those setups where he's at the bar and like everybody's around him hiking, hyping him up. So I'm like, okay, this is going to be sick. He's going to like rep it and set his PR. So I'm watching him step to the bar and, you know, he gets there, everybody's hyping him up and he like deadlifts it, 
puts back down. I'm like, okay, like pretty impressive, you know, good for him. I'm about to like swipe down on my iPhone, get rid of the video, comes back to the bar. I'm like, okay, so he's actually gonna start repping this. Delves it again. I'm like, okay, damn. Then they're hyping him up. They're like, one more, Jason, one more. Gets back to the bar, reps it a third time. I'm like, okay, I'm about to swipe out of the video. Comes back to the bar, reps it five more times. Dude's face is like purple from just the physical exertion. And the, 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 the lesson from that is not he can lift a lot of weight. But the lesson from that is when you're drafting a player who's like so physically gifted, one of the things you want is somebody who's like internally driven to kind of make the most out of that. And not to like read too much into a weight room video, but the fact that like he like pushed himself so far like into physical exertion without like any prodding to do so. Just like repping 535, like five more times than any reasonable expectation would, you know, expect. I think just kind of speaks to his football character. So that's, that's my spiel. I think that's valid. I think that's valid. And as a person that, you know, I like, I look, I keep joking about this guys. I don't think I could lift 35, 535 is insane to me. I will say to my father-in-law, uh, leg, you know, leg lift 600 pounds. Right. And I just look at him like, I'm just like, what is this? What is going on? Like, this is insane. Meigs, I'll go to you, uh, before we pass it to Joe, tell me, tell me, tell me, man, where, where are we with these edge guys? And, and, uh, and, and again, I said this about Landon Dickerson. I told you to keep it to yourself, but you agreed. If you're going to insult Big Greg, understand we, we are going to see each other in 16, in 16 days. And I would just have to buy you, you know, a, another drink or two, you know, to make the peace. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. I have Jalen Phillips one. I think he's the best in the class. Obviously like he could be one concussion away from never playing football again. And that's scary. That's something you can't take in the first round, but I'm not, I don't have his medical information. I don't, want to see his medical information you just have to trust the team that takes him where he gets drafted reflect how comfortable people are with him and for his sake I hope he stays healthy because I really like watching him play football we were on an insane run of Joey Bosa Miles Garrett Bradley Chubb Nick Bosa Chase Young if Jalen Phillips didn't have these medical questions he'd be he, he's that cl- he's that class of talent for me who have his use Ojolari his chop is the best move in the class I just love watching it I don't know as a guy for watching pass rush, the chops is my favorite move to watch, so that's why I'm partial to him. Third's Quitty Pay. I still want to see his three cone because, like, a 6373 cone of 250 pounds literally doesn't make sense. I just want to see it. And he, I'm feeling fortunate to hurt his pro day. Four, I have Ronnie Perkins, who's a guy I really like. I have some questions about his body because he plays the end at 245. And you see with the ends, and like, when you see pass rushers at that weight, you think of like Brian Burns, you think of Von Miller and their outside linebackers. But I love his hand usage. I love how he is against the run. He's a really high effort player. And he really, yeah, had some really nice reps against Tevin Jenkins. So I really like how he's performed against high-class talent. And five, I have Jason Owe. To me, he's like he's like a young Scarlet Witch. He has no idea what he's doing. Literally no idea what he's doing. But if he ever realizes, like, if he ever, if he ever realized how powerful his skill set could be, it's going to be Jason Owe's world and we're going to be living in it. I love the Marvel references today. I, I think you guys did that for me, and that's fine because you guys figured, you know what? We're going to be talking about edges. None of us like Gregory like DA does, so we're just going to sprinkle in some Marvel references just so that way he doesn't kick us off the show. And you know what? I dig it. 
I dig it. Vince Vaughn voice. I dig it. Joe, you wanted to respond to James, uh, which I, I I noticed whatever you whatever James says something that makes that vein in your head pop, you have to stand, you know, like like most rival pods do. Joe, hit us with your thoughts on what James said and then hit us with your your top five edges. Well, it was mostly about James O or away. I'm not sure if it's James O. If it's O, then it's a no. If it's O away, then it's no way. That's all I got to say. Um, as far as his athleticism, yeah, this is something that NFL teams always fall in love with. And it's a mistake. Take the guy who has the best film. It's like, that's why somebody like Elvis Doomerville like fell in the draft and nobody really liked him because they're like, well, he didn't measure out there all that well, right? So I understand why people love away, but a guy who, again, was zero production and is an athletic freak like that on the college level, I, I would be terrified to draft him. But he will most likely be a first round pick because the NFL, again, is obsessed with these athletic guys. Um, so let me get to my top five. Jalen Phillips is number five, number one for me. Um, Jalen Phillips is everything you're looking for from a pass rusher, bend, length, explosiveness, power, and technique. He's easily the most complete edge in this draft and the most technically sound. Nobody uses their hands better than him in this entire class. He has inside moves, he has outside moves, and he has counter moves too. Not to mention he's has an incredibly super high motor. Love that guy. Number two for me is Quiddy Pay. Quiddy is a beast. He's an excellent run defender, really great vision in the run game. I've mentioned that before. Now he needs to keep developing his pass rush, pass rush moves. We all know that, but he has all the makings of a great player. Listen, Quiddy is an athletic freak. He's strong as an ox. And if he could put it all together from a pass rushing perspective, he's going to dominate on Sundays and some Thursdays too. Ojolari is number three for me. I, I do think he's more of a three, four outside linebacker, but he did put on some weight already getting up to 250. So I believe he has the chance to develop into a weak side defensive end in a four, three, if he continues to add some weight to his frame for the jets right now. And I've mentioned this several times. I'm sorry if people are getting tired of it, but he worked well in that deep four role as a pass rushing specialist. And I think he could be lethal in that role. We have to remember that Ford had six and a half sacks in 11 games in 2019 when healthy on pace for almost 10 sacks. So if Ajolari can be that kind of sniper the Jets bring in to target the quarterback on passing downs, it's gonna make an already scary defensive line that much more frightening. Number four for me, I mentioned it earlier, is Peyton Turner. I've, I've talked a lot about Peyton. I don't think my love for him has gone unnoticed with the listeners. He's been in my top five for over a month now and nothing has changed. He recently just crushed his pro day and I was fired up because it validated everything that I've seen from him on film. He's already displayed as as um, John mentioned, some advanced technique, which is exciting coming from someone with limited experience. And if Peyton finds himself on a team with a good staff, he'll be one of the best edge rushers to come out of, come out of this draft. I'll state my reputation on it. Um, if I have one at this point, I'm not sure. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> so number five for me is Ronnie Perkins. I liked his film, maybe not so much his pro day, but I was pleasantly surprised watching him. Not the best Ben, but like Meek says, I, I liked his motor. He really goes after it. I mean, this guy plays angry and I love it. He already has an array of pass rush moves, including a nice long arm or stab with a swipe to get outside or use of a long arm with a rip to get to the inside. He'll club you, he'll bull and pull you. He's also a dynamic as, as a looper on stunts. Dude just plays really hard. As far as his weakness, I think this is a good analogy for Ronnie. Right now, he's more of a fighter than a boxer. He'll go all out and give you everything he has. But if you thwart his initial attack, he doesn't really have the counter moves or counter punches to navigate through that. So he needs to become a little bit more Floyd Mayweather and a little less Mike Tyson. And he might just be heavyweight edge of the world. 
I like it. I like it. I like it. And I, yeah, I mean, I think, I think what's fast, I think what sticks out to me is that this is the Jets in particular already, they have a really deep group up front, right? They're probably about nine deep now, right? They added Vinnie Curry, Sheldon Rankins, you added Lawson, you have the law firm of John Franklin Myers, you have, you know, Canadian Thanos, you know, minus, per, you know, performance enhancers. So we'll see how that, that goes next year. Um, it's a pretty deep group, but, and, and then you also have Jabari Zuniga, right? Who, who they drafted last year in the third round and you don't cut guys who you draft in the third round that often, right? So it's going to be interesting if they, if they prioritize adding adding somebody you know to this group but i i i would hope that they do not think that gerard davis can play that d4 role i would be very very worried about that uh you know but we'll see we'll see what happens guys i'm gonna go around the horn really really quickly you know i want one word from you and we have 17 days until the draft. One word from you on how you are feeling about the team's direction now that free agency has settled and we are headed towards the draft. James, I will start with you. Encouraged, maybe. <laughs> Encouraged, comma, maybe. Meigs, what about you? One word that, that, that says, you know, where you're feeling 17 days before the draft. Excited. And also, uh, Quinn Nelson turned 25 a month ago, and that's the Joe Thomas of guard. So I don't want to hear any more Quinn Nelson slander on this podcast. It's not slander. It's not <laughs> slander. I love Big Q, who we could have drafted, and we could have drafted yeah, him instead yeah. of Sam. Let's be clear. Let's be clear. Sure. <laughs> Joe, one word to describe how you're feeling with, you know, 16 days to go into 17 days to go into the draft. Terrified. No, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> hopeful. 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 I'm going to say terrified. I'm going to say that. I'm going to say terrified uh, because Joe Douglas, I will say, you know, and again, you need, you know, a couple of years to see about a draft class, but I did not like his draft class all that much last year. So I'm, I'm interested to see how this one turns out. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to John Ledyard for joining us for, for a very robust edge talk. You'll notice that these episodes leading up into the draft are going to be a little bit longer, uh, you know, because we want you guys to be ready. We don't want you guys to, you know, have to lie at a draft party and say that you knew who these prospects were. We're trying to set you guys up. Um, again, TOJ is having a first round draft event at Camilla's tasting room for the first round. Then this team, the four horsemen will be live for rounds two and three that Friday night. And then Sunday after the draft, we will have a TOJ Megapod with Badlands and the TOJ pod and TOJ live and us in one pod on a big zoom where we get to answer all your calls and get to rip this draft to shreds. Um, and also guys, make sure to tune in beginning in May TOJ live with Steven Russo and Steven Zantz. Make sure to get those reviews in on wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you want to compliment James's glasses, even though you can't see him, you can do that. You want to compliment Joe's beard, even though you can't see that you can do that. You want to compliment Meigs's sweet soul delivery when he talks about prospects. You can do that too. We are here for you. Um, and thank you guys for rocking with us. This season has been so much fun so far and we are just getting started. We got some stuff coming for you guys. Um, and also one last thing, whoever correctly predicts the most first round picks in the first round will get two tickets to the jet season opener courtesy of TOJ. So you will get your, you will get your mocks in by five o'clock the Thursday of round one and whoever has the most first round picks will get two tickets to the home opener for the New York Jets courtesy. A thank you from us to you. Um, we will see you guys next week where we will be joined by somebody special, by somebody special. It's going to be good. It's going to be another good episode. Thank you guys for rocking with us and rest in peace DMX, the legend. Uh, we started you off with that and we will see you guys next week.